0: Hey there sinners, it's Adam Knox, and welcome to another episode of The Cult of You.
1: In particular, another interview with the devil. And today's devil, I don't think can really be called devil by Um, left-hand path standards, but definitely one by that of the normal world and even some more conventional thinkers. You see, Nineveh Shadrach, author of Magic That Works and a number of other exquisite translations, is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting reads when it comes to anything related to Jinn magic. He is probably one of the most experienced sorcerers out there, but who also hails from a formal occult background running Golden Dawn Lodge himself. Nineveh is, bar none, a very effective magician and an exquisite author and creator of content in terms of the occult world. However, today him and I explore some very controversial subjects and unfortunately, we were not able to have the benefit of video for the course of this discussion. This massive over two hour discussion is more of a workshop in Jin magic as well as a number of secret techniques in which we will reveal to you a true or a hidden method behind the machinery of geomancy, new methods and new approaches to goisha, as well as Nineveh's controversial view around this very deep and interesting subject matter however despite that interesting view or that controversial view as Nineveh himself is not a practitioner of the Goetia however as someone who hails and has done a lot of translation around those works himself as a scholar and as an author he has a hidden secret method for exploring that known as the knock-knock beats as well as a methodology for unlocking these secret names titled the golden meme These courses links are inside of it, but I was able to convince Nineveh to share with my audience a benefit of a nice, delicious discount of 30% on those pieces. So the courses are only going to be available for a very limited time period because, again, this is not really the type of work that he normally promotes. uh, but it does open up to the probability of serious practitioners that want to take their Go-Ethic work to a new level as well as their gin work to a new level. Nineveh's links are inside of the descriptions, but there is an Easter egg hidden throughout this audiobook that'll give you access to the code for this limited time in which it is. And if you happen to be listening to this beyond the share of that special link, you'll still be able to find the link and you'll still be able to find Nineveh and request access to that course, as well as to his other material. This journey helps kind of discard a lot of the misconception. He is not a mentalist by any way. His view on the jinn is that they are completely real and they are entities about themselves. And he shares a plethora of experience that demonstrates this first-hand intimate knowledge. Sit back today, relax, and enjoy this conversation in its most delicious format as I discuss with Nineveh Shadrach the true nature of the Jinn and the secret magic of the East, as we explore some of the original roots of a lot of misconceived ideas in Western magic, including the magic squares, geomancy, as well as a different perspective on the Jinn and on the Goetia. So without any further ado, sit back, relax, and remember to live deliciously. Nineveh, it is an absolute pleasure to be able to sit down with you. I just want to say welcome to the cult of you, and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today.
2: I'm honored to be on your show. I'm excited to have our discussion today. So,
1: it's been one that's kind of like been in my mind. Like I've been, I've been a fan um, of your books for, I'd say. you know 7 to 10 years or or something like that i remember some of my earliest um, kind of practices with gin magic was the result of you know some of your work and i was i was immediately impressed with the the speed of the results but also the the kind of discipline and the structure how you've been able to take that area of magic and make it almost accessible to people from a western magical background which is so exciting for me so just off the bat thank you for the contributions in bringing some pretty hard to understand text in a more sensible way to
2: people you're welcome it's delightful to hear you say that
1: so i want to kind of like hop straight in there because we have a lot of people that'll be listening to the show some of them that have experience with this A lot of them that have pretty much probably read uh, other authors and even other people that we've had on the show's views views on the djinn. I honestly Mm -hmm. think of all the different occult writers, you're the one whose view set in terms of djinn I respect the most. So I would like to hear kind of, you know, from your own point of view, how do you honestly, how should we define the djinn? and how do we approach working with jinn as, as beings?
2: Okay. Um, one of the things about the jinn is that it's part of the occult tradition, and the occult tradition, um, ha- especially in the West, has the idea uh, of paradigm of spirits, mm. and Spirits, ghosts, all of this is a form of disembodied entities of spiritual nature that has no physical connection really. And then we see these things take on a form of demons because of the Christian uh, paradigm of angels and demons. And then these demons now serve these evil men by providing them all these powers and all these physical benefits. And then you mix that later on with the Western development of psychology, and you start looking at them now as aspects of your shadow, aspect of your mind. And with the, again, Western literature of communicating with them on uh, or interacting with these entities on uh, psychological methodology, you end up with a lot of people running around or walking around posting and talking about their relationship with these very powerful entities uh, as if they're interacting with their best friend but for the most part the majority of these interactions are occurring in their mind Mm -hmm. so it's a mental experience for the most part so when you bring that back into the idea of the gen you run into a problem because the despite the religious connotation of the jinn within Islamic uh, theology, the jinn were always seen as an actual species. They're not seen as something like a ghost. They were perceived as the same way you would perceive another race. They were born, they die, they have husband, they have wife, they have kids. So that was their idea of the jinn. There were this other race that coexisted with the humans on the planet. Okay. So, being that these entities were seen as another race, uh, you know, we have something similar now in modern world. We have the grays. You know, we have the mythology of the grays and the UFOs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, in ancient times, it was a jinn. But how do you identify? the non-physical nature of the jinn. Well, the way the Arabs uh, kind of saw it was that the jinn had basically invisibility cloak; They were not visible to our eyes, but it didn't mean they were not physical. So you had to take that into account. I mean, if you take a look at, even during the early Islamic period, there were discussions where, you know, whether or not a pregnancy, the father of the child was a human or a gen. That mm-hmm. wasn't really that common in Western Europe toward the beginning of the Golden Dawn era, the 1800s and, the, you know, and then in the 1900s. The idea that these entities were, would be able to impregnate you or that they interact with you in a physical form did not match with the Western scientific and materialistic process. So, it was, they were taken as, you know, uh, again, a psychological or spiritual power that you interacted with using the power of the imagination, hence the the black mirror. And Mm. if you notice in my literature, you will almost never see any reference to a mirror.
0: Yes. Unlike
2: unlike other occultists, I almost never use a mirror. Okay. Uh, Not that it's ineffective as a form of communication or non-traditional because they are Arabic texts that discuss the mirror mm. or the idea of using the mirror. But the reason I don't introduce it is because I didn't want people to immediately go back into the whole uh, mentalist mindset that you're basically just interacting with things in your imagination, into your hypnotic state, and then these entities are in your mind.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: and um, you know, this struck me when actually I was in the Golden and a newly initiated ada five. He was a five sixth grade. He came to visit me at the Golden temple while I was running in Vancouver, and he made a bet with me. He said, "I'll pay you fifty bucks if you can prove to me that the Galicia spirits are physically real." Okay. And. I was like, wait, so you don't actually believe these spirits are physically objectively real. He said, no, I don't. So that's when it hit me that there is an underlying problem and I didn't want to encourage that kind of thinking. Hmm. And and the reason for this is not because I don't see value in in the mentalist approach right? Um, as, as a way of Uh, interaction but it actually hinders people's magical development because one of the most important component of working with these entities is actually a kind of a conviction of what you're trying to achieve if you don't have a proper idea of how far you're going to get then at the beginning of the journey you're just going to call it a, a win and stop yes so If your idea of how far you can go is a manifestation in a mirror, then once the manifestation in the mirror appears, you will call the ritual a success. You would say, well, this worked. I have my manifestation in the mirror. If you think the sign of success is a candle flame that kind of acts funny, then when you see it acting funny, you say, wait, I I, this worked. It's acting funny. If you think it's seeing something in the smoke, then when you see something in the smoke, you go, whoa, it worked. Mm. so but then this becomes the end if somebody comes up to you and says there is more to it than this that this is not actually the final result your mind will say wait no that's not possible because this is how far i reached this is as as far as everybody i know has reached Mm, so therefore what you're telling me cannot be possible and then you create a barrier Mm. and and then I've seen this happen I've had a guy come for an orientation wanting to join the Golden Dawn I was out of the Golden Dawn at the time but he was a member of the Golden Dawn group by Chick Cicero in in the Vancouver area or the outskirts of Vancouver area Mm -hmm. and during the interview I just began talking about some of my experiences something very mild nothing even serious just mild experiences and The guy freaked out. He just basically almost ran out of the house because the idea that what I am saying to him is even possible is unacceptable to his logical mind. So -hmm. the only conclusion he could reach was that I am mentally insane because it's not possible. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I'm like, wait, you know, and it's like this kind of thinking puts limits, right? And that's where the confusions arise. And that's where um, beginners get lost because they don't really always know what the results they need to achieve can be. And, you know, I, I, there's a little story I kind of tell. I gave a ritual to Kajin to one of my close friends back in the day. And he was in the Golodan. And his wife was complaining that He was not very active that since he left the GD, or, you know, things were going on in his life and he hasn't been very excited about doing the work. Mm. He lost his social support network. And I said to her, well, give him this and have him try it. Maybe it will bring up his fire for doing magic again Mm. and motivate him. So she took it. And then I heard back from her a week later. I said, so did you give it to him? She said, no. I said, so what did you do? She said, I used it. (laughs) I said, okay, so what happened? She said, well, I gone into the temple area and I began doing this invocation you gave. And I said, if the jinn is real, prove it. I want physical proof. I said, okay, then what happened? She said, I heard footsteps physically with my ear as it walked around me. I said, did you see anything? She said, no, but I heard the footsteps and it moved the air. The air was moving as it was moving, but I couldn't see it. So, you know, to give a kind of an idea, let's use the, the, the Western movie, The Predator. Mm-hmm. He's invisible. He walks around. He can interact with things, but your eye just can't see it because he has this invisibility cloak. So it's so like this thing was invisible, but when it moved, the air moved. Mm -hmm. And it made sound with his feet. I said, okay, so then what? She said, I said, this is not enough proof. I wanted more evidence. I said, okay, so what happened next? She said, I felt something touching my shoulders, like a hand touching my shoulders. I said, okay, so were you satisfied? She said, no, I asked for more proof. I said, then what happened? I said, she said, objects around me on the altar began to levitate. I said, and then what happened? She said, I fainted.
1: (laughs) Careful what you wish for.
2: And then she said, she woke up to a voice of a man telling her she's late for work. And it was a very loud voice in her ear. And she got up, but there was nobody there. So that's sort of what happens when... When you are crossing that boundary, right? Because if you say to yourself these things are not real or they're not objective, then your magical experience confirms that until something happens to confirm the opposite, and then your brain can't process because you programmed yourself that's not possible. Mm. And it doesn't just apply to Westerners; it applied to me in my own experiences because. There are certain things I also thought were not possible. And I created a barrier in my mind. And I said, these things cannot be until they manifested. And then my brain couldn't process them. And I had a zip. But eventually I just began to accept that they are, that I am dealing with something that has a capacity to affect the physical world. So to go back, I'll give you another example, just sort of like, give you a general idea what we're dealing with here mm. um again in the beginning i would say around 15 years ago or so i had received a copy from somebody who i don't think he acquired it in the right way but he sent me a copy to publish of a manuscript written in the hand of moina matters and and this manuscript apparently she had copied from uh some archive in France. And it in, contained a grimoire that was very much on the left-hand path, a lot of evocations to Lucifer, Satan, etc., And it was unique that it didn't fit really what we would normally see in grimoires like the Goetia.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it was kind of like, it had a really creepy vibe to it, like, like a weird, creepy vibe. So mm-hmm. I thought to myself, this is Moina Mathers, wow, you know, I can't read the handwriting, it's in French. So I, I asked my partner at the time, Francis, co- co-author Magic That Works. I said, could you, can you read the handwriting? She said, yes. I said, if you could type it for me, I'd much appreciate it. And then I will basically translate it and see what this memoir is about, because it has that kind of weird vibe to it. Mm. And she didn't like it. She didn't like what she was translating. It bothered her, and I said to her, "Well, just type it. We're not going to use it. We don't do that kind of magic anyway. I'm just curious to read it. I want to see what this is." Yeah. And she said, "Okay." So she's typing, and just to give you an idea, we're a few feet apart. She's sitting in kind of like a alcove, and I'm in the kitchen, which is going kind to of open to this area where she's sitting. And during daytime, so the kitchen lights were off. So I hear her scream. So I rush in and I say, what's up? She said, something grabbed my hand when I was trying to type what I was reading. And she showed me the bruises, what looked like fingers in her hand. And then at that moment, I turned around and the light in the kitchen was on. But nobody turned the light on. Okay, And Uh, what made it even weirder is that the light that was on was coming from a socket that had no light bulb. Oh, interesting. So the whole thing was very freaky. Suffice to say, I agreed with her and I just sold the manuscript on eBay. And we can abandon the project. Never bothered reading it after that. I got the hint. Don't touch this.
1: (laughs) Got it. Communication received. Yeah, Uh, communication received. That's right. This is this is so interesting and I really love like what you've pointed out and I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand because one of the original contexts of Mind and and the relation of mind was the old Egyptian translation that mind that God is infinite mind, but the context of mind is not the same there as it is perceived of today in a purely mental or purely psychological point. Yes, there is an essential role in maybe working with the archetypes of one's psychology, especially to deal with. Uh, neuroses and things that may be getting in your way or unhealthy projections of yourself. But that perception of your magic as a purely mental thing becomes a blocker, as you say, a pure barrier that limits your actual energetic reach to even make contact to those levels. But when you do reach the manifestations are real and, and you know just as a testimony to some of you know you sharing the hand handprint piece. I remember when I was working through um, your work, and I think it was actually from um, Magic That Works. I was I, I was sitting in an old uh, the the studio house that I had back then had in the in the main room where I had all the dance classes and martial arts classes had mirrors all around it. And mm-hmm. no one, no one was in the space, so I decided this would be a great way to practice one of the one of the invocations. And I still remember it was one. It was the first time that I I practiced mm-hmm. an invocation that had such excessively long repetitions of certain mm-hmm. names and numerical structures. But I figured, okay, I'm going to commit. I'm going to go for this. And halfway through, my consciousness did alter, but I I physically could feel and see this being standing next to me. And I could recognize its independence of my own focus. Mm -hmm. And I figured if it was purely just the normal kind of hypnotic structures, by the time I'd finished the technique, it would be over. Um, After I finished the technique, probably for two days afterwards, the second I would close my eyes to go dream, he -hmm. was there almost as if saying to me, okay, you've called me. Why, what are we doing? And I had to finish that working first. And it was even after that for a few days, I would wake up certain mornings with these, what looked like handprints beneath my skin, like these blue handprints that, that just seemed so strange. And at first I thought, Oh, I'm just, I'm just going a little bit crazy. This is my own delusion. Um, and for two days i did that and then on the third day my lover who had she knew i was practicing this she felt different things around the house the third day she woke up with the same handprints on her body and i was like okay this is not in my head this is there's something real going on here and it it kind of gave a very deep respect to that but in terms of that so how then recognizing the reality of these beings, how should one approach them? You know, if, if recognize, I mean, is it a, is it a, is there a formula ritualistically? Do you treat them like another human being? Do you treat them like a race? Because my experience so far has been almost as if they are fifth dimensional beings that are able to operate in more dimensions than we are. Right. Right. Uh, what, is, what is your advice in that?
2: Well, I think when it comes to the jinn, and we need to be careful that the jinn is the word we use to apply to them. It's not really how they identify themselves as much. Okay. Um, uh, because the word jinn is just derived from the concept of the unseen, something that is hidden. It's an Arabic word for what is hidden. So different cultures have different names. Right. Uh, In some cultures, maybe they were called the elves or the fey or, you know, different societies try to understand what they were dealing with based on their own cultural roots. So we have similar stories of the same race, but different iconography, different titles, different names. So different societies have encountered them since antiquity. Mm. Um, And the reason for that is because they were here before us we the we're the new race, so to speak, and when you take a look at some of the narratives, even in the Quran, which is this, you know the Islamic holy book, the uh, holy book, when they're talking about the jinn, they're addressing them as equal to humans in all parallel in all senses. They're parallel. So, oh mankind or oh jinn kind, oh mankind or oh jinn kind. We give you this, we give you that, we you know, so the revealer of the Quran is identifying the humans and the jinn as being of equal status on this earth. But then implies they're not exactly on equal, you know, they're not really on the same space because it talks about two sunrises, two sunsets, stuff like that. It talks about the oceans touching each other, then these references, the precursor to mankind appearance where the jinn were basically building listening posts in the skies in the heavens and they were hiding these listening posts and you know those are all indicative of course of radio telescopes the kind of stuff we use today we have our own listening posts to listen to the heavens so that implied that the jinn had radio radio uh, telescopes of sort or receivers that they were using before mankind showed up so there's a lot of There's a lot of um, confusion because you have the religious side, you have the modern side, you have a Hollywood side. So when it comes to the jinn, my advice to everybody is usually to think of them as non-human entities who don't really trust humans, don't really want to be bothered by them. They want to be left alone. So then the question is, well, I work with the Goetia, the goesha. It's always quick to respond. It's always quick to help. You know, I can call this demon and that demon, and I can get, I get quick answers. And most, of course, of these experiences are on the mind. So when you're doing that or in the mirror, mm-hmm. so when you're doing mm-hmm. that, you can, you know, you can talk to Jesus, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> but, but to put that aside, to put that aside, you know, these entities are by definition outlaw. So if the majority of the jinn want nothing to do with humans, then the outlaw will probably want to have something to do with humans. Because it probably because it's a it's a they're outlaw, they don't play by the same rules, they're rebels. And if you take a look at some of the classifications of the jinn you see online, people get confused. They say, Well, this is this is a Ifrit, this is a married, this is and I'm like, whoa, these are not classifications of types of jinn. Okay.
3: They're
2: all classifications of different types of uh, rebellion, rebellion, and criminal activity. Interesting. You know? can you it's kind like of the the most, explore that well, a bit more, please? Yeah, like, like the word "are free." People think the word "are free." Well, the word "are free" means something devious, someone or something that can attain what they want using devious means. Okay.
0: All right?
2: The word "married" means somebody who is in in chronic state of rebellion. You know, they they would simply do not. They're outlaw. They don't play by any rules, right? So they're not
1: exactly a different shaitan, entity. They're just um, like almost like a different personality or a behavior choice. They become a behavioral
2: choice. Yeah, they're kind of labeled behavioral choice. The word shaitan is not an actual entity. It just means enemy or aggressor. So mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. are different ways why these entities are identified, and then the rest of the jinn are identified as benevolent, right? Yeah. So, so that leaves us with the sense of okay, so who are you dealing with here? If you take a look at the Arabic text, if you take a look at the Western text, even if we take a look at Abramel and the Mage, mm. almost all of these grimoires eventually end up working with entities that fall under uh, Amaiman, for example. Yeah. Al-Amayman is Maimun Abanuk, a Jin king. And he, he's not necessarily the sweetest and kindness of Jenkins. kings. And I'm talking from experience. I'm not saying he's necessarily um, you know, evil, but he's definitely not benevolent in the normal sense of the term. Okay. Extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. And um, all the jinn basically that are, we're interacting with are falling under his domain. So even if you take a look at the and the Mage, so these we're, we're dealing with a very set number of powers of the jinn who are directly interacting with magicians and influencing magicians, and in some ways submitting magicians to them while these magicians think they are submitting the jinn to them or mm-hmm. submitting the demons to them. In other words, the magician who thinks he's in control is being controlled, he's just not aware. Yes. yeah. You can
0: kind of um, see that,
1: you know, that evidence in the behavior online.
2: Right. And they don't realize that this is happening to them. And I'm not trying to imply by the statement that jinn are evil. I'm trying to say that the jinn people are working with have ulterior motives. Because the jinn who are benevolent don't usually appear in grimoires. They don't make all kind of promises. Okay. okay. They don't do any of this stuff. They They, stick, you know, they keep to themselves. So reaching out to them, they're not eager to reach out to everybody and make friends, Mm. right? Because they don't want the attention. They want the invisibility. So they tend to kind of avoid that. And that leaves us with the same list of particular names that have been occurring for thousands of years in grimoires and texts. And when you're approaching the jinn, you have to realize that you're approaching, like I said earlier, a non-human entity that has its own mind, its own will, its own consciousness, and its own agenda. And if this agenda is aligned with your agenda, if its mind is aligned with your mind, if the two of you can form a friendship of sort, then that's a bridge of communication, that's a bridge of help, that's a bridge of assistance. Just to give you an idea of what I'm referring to here, um, and you don't need magic, like in the sense of complicated evocations, because okay. you have already built a relationship to give you an example of what I'm talking about one time Frances, you know, my, my ex-partner, she wanted to go shopping and she's done this trip to, to the grocery store, like a hundred times, thousand times.
3: Mm-hmm. She
2: goes there every day. Right. And she was running a bit late. It was 1130 at night. The place closes at midnight. She had to rush out the door. She's telling me that she's rushing out the door as I'm heading into the shower, but she was feeling a bit, you know, she was acting a bit spookily weird. She was saying, I'm giving you a hug because I get the feeling this is going to be the last hug I give you. I'm going to give you a kiss kiss because I'm getting the feeling this is the last kiss I'm going to give you. And I was like, why are you talking like this? You're just going to go for 30 minutes into the grocery store and come back. She said, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling. I said, then don't go. Stay home. She said, I need, we need groceries. I got to go. I'm like, what is this? So she went out and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not going to work. If, if she's getting a sense of something bad and she's insisting to go, I got to do something. But what can I do? I'm not with her. I'm going to the shower. So I basically said in, in a nutshell, any junior around here who is a friend of mine that I've been interacting with, keep an eye on her. Keep her out of danger. If something happened, keep her safe. Do this for us a favor for me, please. Okay. And then okay. I went and I went into the shower. When I came back, she was shaken. She was shaken when she came back. She said after her shopping, she was crossing and she didn't notice, but this car was coming at high speed and I was about to hit her. And whoever was driving this car was not stopping, was not swerving, may not have been aware that she's there. And she was paralyzed. And she knew she figured that's it. She's about to die. When somebody grabbed her literally lifted her up the ground and moved her out of the way. And when her shock was over, and she turned around to thank the stranger, the roads were empty in all directions. Mm. There was nobody in any direction. I mean, like, I think for,
1: for, for somebody that's never been truly initiated into the mysteries of magic and never encountered that, that sounds like a, a pretty impossible story. And if I haven't had similar experiences in my own life as a result of working with with these forces, I would have also probably thought, wow, that's, that's not, how's that possible? But
2: it is, and it's- It it's, is um... possible. Yeah, it's, not, it's possible not because it's supernatural, mm. it's possible because these entities are here we just don't see them.
1: Mm. And, and, and not are, in a psychological
2: format, but here as no, they're not, they're not in a psychological format. Yes. No, they are here, and they have, you know, all kinds of abilities that we're not cognizant of. On our, as an average person walking down the street, we live. We live in a very unique position where these entities are here, where they have a lot more power than the United States military. In many ways. Mm. And yet we we're taught that they're not real, that they are, don't exist. At the same time, they appear in all our entertainment media. Mm. We go to watch mm. all of the rings and we look at these beautiful elves. We watch movies about the jinn. We watch, you know, the paranormal, where these demonic entities are doing all these things that people have associated with jinn activity. So it's like part of our brain is split. We are looking at the, we're living a kind of a fantasy reality in which these beings are real while our logical brain is telling us no, they're not real. Our educational institutions, our scientists, our doctors, our elders, leaders are saying they're not real. But they're telling us they're real via media. So it's a kind of a very weird position. And you know, where our our culture and societies are heading because we're kind of like having this minus schizophrenic event because we know they're there. We know they're there. Whether we want to admit to it or not, we know they're there. Whether we want to dismiss it or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, when I started with this whole path, I didn't start with the whole conviction that jinn are real and I'm just going to get into jinn magic and I'm going to summon jinn. I didn't even know if they were real or not. Okay. You know, I, I approached the whole thing from a, from a skeptical perspective. You know, you know, I wasn't looking at it as a as a matter of conviction. I came into it as a matter of like, really, is this even possible? Is this even real? How much of this is even real? Right. And, and then and, 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 then, yeah, yeah, it and kind then opened I, you. Yeah, and then I tested. I said, well, I'm gonna make a test. I'm gonna see if this is real or not. I will try this, I will try that, I will see if this works. I will see if that don't work. And the chronic level of physical experiences, you know, got me to a position where now somebody comes up to me and says, you know, we're going to torture you on waterboard until you confess that they're not real. Well, no, I cannot do that. You know, it has to be a very long torture session because I've seen enough evidence. It's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of knowing. Okay. It's not a matter of belief. And it's not a belief in a subjective thing either. Right, it's not a belief or a subjective thing. I mean, just gonna kind of give you an idea of what I mean by non-subjective. When you're interacting with, say, with um, a, a goatic spirit or even a Olympic spirit, let's say Ak.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: When people su- summon Ak, they basically come back and say something like, "I talked to Ak, and Oc said so and so and so." And you know, he taught me this. Or he told me this, and it's you know, it's all kind of this mental communication. And then you say, "Okay." What happened to convince you that your encounter with Ark was objectively real beyond the subjective sense of the communication? And very often they have nothing to back it up with other than saying, well, what I believe to be true is true. It's a matter of faith.
3: Mm.
2: Okay. So in in parallel point, at one point, a jinn connected to a Jinking Madhab, which in many ways correspond to Ock because it's associated with the sun, wanted to communicate with me. He wanted to deliver a message. So I used my own tools to make a kind of a communication. Okay. And he said to me, I'm going to give you a sequence of numbers. Every time you write a sequence of numbers on a piece of paper, I will come and basically I will help you in whatever you need help with. And we can talk. It's like like a phone number. But, right. you know, you don't All right. dial the phone number. You write the phone number. And I was like, okay. So I took a pen and I wrote down the numbers sequentially. Just numbers. Wrote down the numbers sequentially. But at the time I wrote the last number, the paper was hot. Interesting. Uh, physically hot. Like burning hot. Okay. Like holding a hot candle. It's hot. So... I held it on my hand and it was very hot. And I mean you know, I could barely hold it. People, and I was like, intangible. Oh no, yeah, it's hot. Fine. It's not subjective about hot. It's hot. So I I took the piece of paper and I asked three different people who were in my vicinity to close their eyes and I put the paper on their hand and I said, Is this paper hot? And they all replied, Ow, it's hot. Second paper, second person, ouch, it's hot. Third person, ouch, it's hot. They have no idea what this piece of paper is or what's its origin, right? All they know is it's hot. So that's three people who independently confirmed the paper was hot. It's not subconscious, you know, make-believe. The paper is hot. Hot is hot. You you, you don't go very far with that. So the question arises: how does writing a sequence of numbers on a piece of paper make it hot? The answer is it does not. So what really happened here? What happened is Virgin made it hot, a signature proof that that piece of paper is definitely his number call.
0: OK, so it, it's not
1: it's not like the, the traditional concept where a lot of people will say, oh, you activate the, the sigil by imagining it in your head in a certain way. Uh-huh. This was a, a, a legitimate, just a pattern of some sorts that you received and you had tangible, verifiable contact from the other side of that, you know, perceivable dimension where there was physical heat emanating from this piece.
2: Yes, there's physical heat emanating from this piece. Just... And the question arises, how did the... This is not the first time this happened. It has happened before. Mm-hmm. So how do the Jin make that piece of paper emanate heat? What do they do to make it hot? Yes. Now, that's the question, the million-dollar question here, really. Because once we understand how they're making it hot, we understand how we can actually see them.
1: Yeah, that is an interesting question piece i mean there's so many kind of debates that i've seen Uh, one of the arguments being the relationship with the concept of dark matter and dark energy which also helps explain why some people experience the uh, the other in whatever form as being dark simply because it's so close to impacting physical matter through dark Mm -hmm. energy but it's a level of physics we are You know, still kind of, I think, understanding in in a certain way, whether that's a a, a powerful control over the big Higgs boson, the God particle, or what it is, is the million dollar question. But that also kind of opens up, you know, just another piece of kind of question that I'd like to, you know, poke or prod at while we're having this specific discussion. There is always this discussion in terms of, you know, do I use sigils? Do I use mantras? Um, Some of the work that I've seen from you in terms of the magic squares have been very interesting. And the concept of magic squares has been in the Yabra and it's been in so many other magical texts. This number sequence, does that almost open up to that science? Is that related in any way? Uh, Can you maybe open up more about that, these phone numbers, if you will, and ways to connect, whether it's just our imagination, whether it's a transcendent piece of information, how we figure that out, uh, what is that about?
2: Okay. Well, when it comes to the phone number idea, if you take a look at the Arabic manuscripts, they're very clear on the procedure of contacting the gen, And it's drastically different from Western expectation. And most Westerners I've encountered, and even some Middle Easterners, are trying to or you know, argue against it because it's just too inconvenient these days. Mm. But the procedure was very simple. You abstain from eating anything to do with meat. You went on a completely vegan diet. That's okay. one. The vegan diet was meant to kind of purify and prepare yourself, your energetic body, your mind, your physical aspect, and everything else.
3: Okay.
2: The other thing is you isolated yourself from society. All you did right. not do That's it trouble. in the middle of the city. You did not do it in the middle of town. You went far, as far as possible. Is okay? this to,
1: sorry, is this to uh, get away from human beings or to get away from urban life and get closer to nature
2: no this goes back to the concept that jen do not want to be noticed
1: okay okay all right
2: you are creating an a contact space where they feel safe now the third the third procedure here and this is this is critically important is that your working space must not have any sunlight of any kind all right Sunlight and jen don't go well together. Really?
1: Is there, Was is there,
2: there a reason for that? Well, it's not besides, explained. Oh, if if you science. ask, it's not explained. It's just indicated.
3: Okay.
1: The
2: same way it's indicated that you're going to find this funny. It's also indicated they don't like garlic.
1: Oh, interesting. Is this where a lot of our myths come from? Especially because we've always got the lunar attributes of... Vampires and all these things, which are right, right. lunar-based. For-
2: yeah, yeah, it, well, I thought you'll find it funny because it's you know it's it's there. It's listed really in the text.
3: That's
1: do brilliant. not
2: have garlic around. <laughs> and they don't like garlic. Don't eat garlic.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do we hide silver
2: or is that still okay? <laughs> no, silver is fine. Iron is not.
1: Okay. Yes, I've, I'm familiar with iron.
2: Uh, which is kind of like this. You got the same myth, I think, among the Fae and Iron. Yes. So so iron is not. So then what happens is you closer yourself up. And then at first they tell you you will have all kind of imaginative experiences. Mm-hmm. They literally say your imagination will you all kind of hallucinations. Right. And then they're very clear that you are to ignore these hallucinations. Okay. They will point out that all these spirit or entities will appear to you and you are to completely ignore them. Do okay. not interact. Do not give them credence. Do not give them credit. Completely ignore them. And then at certain point, they indicate that you'll be terrified by physical manifestations around you like sounds, like... Uh, Walls, the magic closing in or moving in, or like sounds of bugs and bees and insects and all kinds of like weird things happening in your environment. Drums, a of drumming. Hmm. Ignore it all. Okay. Still keep going. Uh, yeah, keep. Yeah, we keep going, right? Eventually, they identify. You will see what looks like the walls are tearing apart, separating, and light is coming out of the walls.
1: Interesting. Yes.
2: And then at that point, entities will appear. And those entities are the ones that we call the gin and the interact with. And they will sit across from you. And they tell you to keep a distance of at least six feet. Because any direct contact is dangerous to your health, physically. Uh, harmful to your health. You need to keep six feet contact.
1: Because of the vibrational differences? or
2: I think it's the same reason why the paper gets hot.
1: Okay. Oh, yes. Well, yes, gin. Makes sense
2: you know it's probably not healthy for your body to have the same experience as that piece of paper mm. you might end up with a stroke or cancer or something they just consider it dangerous you keep your distance okay. okay so at that point you make your covenant and then the jinn will give you something there's no sigil involved that you create and charge there's no none of that he will give you something it could be a Piece of metal it could be a rock, it could be a, like a sequence of numbers, it could be anything. He, the jinn will give it to you. You don't create it yourself. You don't walk in there with it created. You receive it and you keep it hidden and you keep it concealed. And that works as a kind of an anchor to where you are, so the Jin can find you quickly. Oh, interesting.
1: So, so once you've established the contact, the the Jin determines how that relationship gets set up it's not you don't pull out the rose cross and try and draw out sigils based upon a number sequence of your own yeah. a, a assumptions it's the direct contact that says to you this is how we'll okay. get in touch we'll call you
2: exactly and it's he sets the rules
3: okay.
1: they also set
2: the rules for what you can and cannot do they set the rules for what you will do in return for this kind of encounter and experience, and you have to abide by these rules. And if you break these rules, they will just simply cease and desist of being there for you. Now, this is how it's described in the old manuscripts. Mm. Now, when the Christians probably took that, it just became you sell your soul to the devil. Not that they can really want your soul, it's not really that important, yeah, as far as what they right, but um. So these, these kind of deals are there. Now, how do we deal with this in our modern time, though? Because in modern time, it's very difficult for any of us to make these kind of, you know, um, sacrifices or arrangements where we can do an entire month in an isolated, dedicated space, chamber, et cetera. It's not possible these days.
0: Exactly. Um,
2: so we use different mediums of communications but it's not easy. So, you know, it's, it's really location-based. A lot of people don't understand how important location can be. Mm. They think, well, I can call the djinn anywhere, anytime, and I will just get a response because they're still used to the idea of the mirror experience.
3: Mm. You
2: You can draft that mirror anytime you want. You can do it in the, you can close your eye and you can make contact with a demon in an airplane, right? You can close your eyes and make contact with a spirit, in the toilet, you can do it anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter. It's your mind. There's no restrictions on it. But when you're looking for something tangible, location matters. So if you're, if you're trying to do this ritual in your office, trying to call the djinn in your office and, or at your house and the TV is blaring or whatever, he may not show up. Even worse, if he doesn't like the town, he will not show up. Hmm. So you might think, oh, the magic is not working. Because I didn't have a physical manifestation like mentioned in the old text. Well, no, it's not that it's not working. It's that you didn't meet the requirements. So these requirements are not easy. So then we have to kind of bring down our expectations here. So I tell all all my students, you bring down your expectations. If you want to have that kind of experience, you've got to follow those kinds of rules. If you're not prepared to do this, then don't ask me, How can I see a jinn physically? Or how can I have physical manifestations? How can I have any of this? The best you can hope for is to build a strong enough connection that you will get assistance, right? Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. Don't go beyond that to the point of wanting to have all these miraculous signs to prove to you that they're objectively real because you're not making enough form of the instruction set to make that possible, right?
1: Also, you're not putting the kind of effort in from your side, so why should they even pay attention?
2: It's not a matter of effort; it's really a matter of setup. Okay. Right. It's really a matter of setup. If you're setting, if you're doing an evocation to the gym and you're wearing, uh, you know, I, I've seen. I don't want to mention names. Some occultists on YouTube, and they seem to be treating the magic circle like a rug. They will pull out the magic circle and then they will step on it, with their shoes. I don't know. What are you doing? What kind of what kind of what is this that I'm watching on YouTube and and you are pretending to be teaching people like what is this? This mm. is not how this works. You have no respect for your art. I'm not naming names on this, but I'm sure you figure out who I'm referring to yeah the, uh, So the key here is to have respect for these entities and realize you're not the. if you're approaching it as subjective then it doesn't matter. But if you're looking for something objective, if you're looking for that kind of contact that is mentioned in the ancient text, then you need to make the arrangement that is suitable for your visitors.
3: Okay. Okay. You know,
2: because even if you put in effort and spend hours and hours and hours, if the environment is not conducive to their appearance, they will simply not show up. And, and can that ever
1: kind of go wrong? Could any of them actually ever be offended um, by your almost sloppy approach to them and uh, cause some um, negative manifestations?
2: Well, I don't think they'd be offended by a sloppy approach. I think they'd be offended by how you interact with them. Uh, you know, because uh, let's face it, and this, this is a reality of the matter. If the gym wants to show up, the gym wants to show up. And mm. that's a fact. So we're talking about making these arrangements. We're talking about doing all this because we want people to have an awareness of what they're dealing with here, like a right approach, mental approach. Yes, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you don't have all the A's and B's and C's, you know, and everything just set up perfectly, that the jinn will not show up. Because my experience is, if it wants to show up, it will just show up, even uninvited. Even without any invocation,
3: hmm. it will
2: just show up. So it's a matter of preference for the jinn. So when you're making these arrangements, you're making you're removing obstacles for its arrival. Okay? You're making it as inviting as possible, as easy as possible. But if the jinn wants to show up, it will just show up.
0: Yes. Okay, that's that's fascinating.
2: So, and, you know, a good example of this, I think I mentioned it in one of my books, I don't know if you've read it or not, um, where I was thinking of doing an evocation to a Jin King in six months' time. And then I closed the manuscript and I heard Francis calling me to the room That said, we have a visitor. And I go in the room and the bedroom and she had this huge planter, massive, massive planter. Mm-hmm. And it was so fast, rapidly in a clockwise fashion. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, this is one heavy piece of, you know, look, it's heavy. It's not a small, tiny planter. Damn thing should have been outside, not inside the bedroom. Okay. So it's spinning. And I'm thinking, did you do anything to it? She said, no, I didn't touch it. I said, okay, how about the window? She said, it's closed. How about this? It's, so we ruled out any physical explanation. Now, I, I knew already there was something in the room, but I was just trying to, you know, my logical mind is trying to rule everything out. And this thing is spinning rapidly like it's on you know, turbo engine. And I said, okay, if a gym is here, spin it the other way. And instantly, it stopped spinning. And then began to spin rapidly in the other way. Oh, wow. Right? Instantly, there was no delay. It went from fast movement to stop to repeat the other direction. Rapid movement. And I was like, okay, we got a visitor here, Prindin, we got a jinn here, and I know where where that jinn is from, because I was reading the manuscript, but I really had nothing to ask at the time. So I was like, I'm sorry to have bothered you, but I really don't have a need at this point. So I just left. Now, somebody else might be sitting down and doing the same conjuration for hours and months and nothing would show up. So it's not that the concentration doesn't work, it's just a matter of preference, right?
1: So we have to recognize that they have pretty much their own personalities, their own- Exactly,
2: they have their own personality, their own decision-making. So that's why in my courses, I give you 700 gen names or a thousand gen names. I don't expect you to evoke them all. It's just the idea that the more names you have, the more contacts you have, the bigger your phone book, the better chance of finding somebody on the phone book that likes you enough to be responsive.
0: It's almost like uh, you're doing
1: you're doing cold calling for yeah, yeah, on exactly. the right matching clients to work within your business.
3: Um, well, it's
2: kind of like well, actually, don't interrupt you. It's actually more like Tinder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I right, over the other guy was white bright too like that.
1: I like that I like that I, at some point if, if we can develop the, the, the Jin app that would be that would be some profound stuff um, uh, but so so then then magic squares sigils are they of any use uh, when we're looking at contacting are they more for the Ruani Yan the, the energy or what is their role in terms of the process
2: well, they're, the djinn don't need them, if, if that's what you're asking.
3: Okay.
2: Um, I, I think you would you would go way further with something like the knock-knock beats than you would ever do with sigils or squares. Um, Can you describe that a little bit, just for those that... Uh, have- the knock-knock beats are basically, uh, familiar with geomancy, the divination yes. system. Yes? Yes, well, if you take a look at geomancy, and I, I covered that in my course on the subject... And look at the proper translation of the the figure names, not the English translation, the Arabic translation. And if you take a good look at it, you would realize that what you're dealing with are different names for parts of a machine. Okay. you got input, output, red point, white point, you know, all of that stuff. You did you, the, the reverser or inverter, you know, you got all that. Is are technical terms for a machine? Interesting, and not any normal machine, a machine that uses sound and possibly light to communicate. So, the question is who revealed this machine initially or who revealed the system initially of, of communication? And in our mythos you know it's revealed by the angel gabriel but every single system that works with those with the geomancy system involves the jinn so basically it's a jinn communication tool geomancy so i don't really have the blueprints for this machine but i understand the concept because it's using binary so knock-knock beats are basically binary code that is, that's basically produced by the computers or the speakers or whatever that send a signal to call the Ginova. That's interesting. Does, does, that, it, that, it,
1: does that have any kind of effect on your own brain as well while you're going through that process?
2: Well, uh, it... It depends. I guess if you you can use it as a kind of a strobing tool where you would strobe it at the same kind of binary point, that you can have that effect. But just listening to it, I don't really find that it has that effect on your mind as much. But it definitely doesn't have an effect on the gin. It's like setting up a beacon and they do tend to respond to it eventually. Maybe not immediately, but eventually they respond to it. Okay. You know, so if you if you play it on a very loud speaker for 15, 20 minutes. You're going to start getting things happening because they're going to be going, we're hearing the signal. Somebody is echoing it out. So it works the same way as, like I said, geomancy. But geomancy is sort of like we just put one dot, two dot, one dot, two dot on a piece of paper. And for some reason, we've got kind of to shrunk this whole complex system of communication into good luck, bad luck, mm. fortune, mm. misfortune. And you you know, what is this? You know, is it the most boring divination system on the planet? That's because it's not a divination system, really. It's a communication tool. Oh, wow. It's an instruction paper, communication tool that we don't have anymore. It's gone. However, this device was built was gone. But it's there. Um, so the concept is there. So by... Using knock-knock beats, we basically have our shortcut method, right?
0: Okay. But
1: uh, I'm assuming you're only going to unlock that by actually working, kind of like John D. and Edward Kelly actually having to kind of gather the language first or the vehicle, and then with actively working with the, the entities, the communication kind of improved so almost like a same. like we've got the basis of the machinery the basis of the technology but by ourselves alone we're probably not going to solve it we'd have to actually have contact with the gin. you'd have to be working through that in order to progress and develop the system um or what's your thoughts
2: well i mean if you're talking about the machine that's correct but for the knock-knock beats it's really not that complicated
0: mm.
2: we, we just use the binary Okay. Do you, uh, do you get that in your course? Yeah, it's actually, well, I just give the binary. I don't actually have a course on it. I just give it. Okay. Oh, like if you sign up for one of my courses and you can get, I just offer the binary, the knock-knock beats now with almost all my uh, courses on the gym because it just beat the process up. And for, uh, you know, I don't want people to struggle and I understand how hard it is for a beginner to do workings and then not get the immediate result they're looking for and feeling like oh you know i'm wasting my time so Mm. they're not going to create speed the process up
1: okay that's great that's really cool um i want to i want to
2: yeah can i i'm just going to go through this again here because i just wanted to really emphasize this on the concept of geomancy um so i'm just going to go through with you a little bit on the figures just enough because I think this is really important to Russian occultists to understand, you know, it's there, but they're not aware of it because of the kind of literature they're reading. So, for example, one of the first figures we have in geomancy is alhamra, which means redness. Now, redness is associated with inflammation and heat. So it's linked to the planet Mars and the energy of Aries. However, we were talking, you know, before in our conversation about Telescopes, right? Or, or or signature, right? So how the gin were listening into deep space using uh, hearing or tools to get signals from deep space. Hmm. Okay. And our radio telescopes that we use these days to get the signals use the infrared spectrum of light. Yes. So that's the redness, the infrared spectrum.
0: Okay. That's
2: All right. In the next figure in geomancy is uh, Nasra al Kharija, which means outbound support. Okay. Okay. So outbound support was translated into Latin to mean lesser fortune. All fortuna right. minor. Okay. But it's not the original understanding of it. So if you're thinking of a machine, what does an outbound support does, right? yes so the next figure is al-bayad which means whiteness okay another concept of whiteness the word al-bayad another meaning for it is brightness so brightness has to do with the proper exposure of an image you're receiving whiteness is known in photography as white balance also right it's important for proper image capture
1: oh it's fascinating this is such a nice frame
2: essential for radio transmission, brightness and white balance is critical for the visual capture. Oh, wow.
1: Sure, that's, that's mind-blowing. That's... So and always, and that's one of the... Yeah, and
2: system. Right, and one of the most important concepts in radio astronomy is brightness.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Because it characterizes levels of radiation. Oh, wow. Right? In the re-optics approximation, radiated energy flow in straight line. Right? Okay. So let's just moving a little bit further on. Then we have Al-Qabd Al-Kharij, which means exterior capture. See? You're seeing mm-hmm. a pattern? What happens if you send out a signal? You get a response, right? Yes. That's exterior capture. Okay. Then you make contact, or you put two things, you connect two things together. You have Al-Ijtima, the connector, the joint point. The connection between the receiver and the sender in your machine. The next next one is Al-Kharija, or output threshold, right? The knowledge of the threshold of an output is very important when constructing devices. Because threshold is the amount of measurement change required before a measuring instrument reacts to a change in the measurement output, or produces a specified result, right? Yeah, so... Then we, have, then we have the figure called al-inkis, or al-mancus, which means the inverter, or inverted. Inverters are often connected to the oscillators, which magnify audio frequency. Interesting. Are you me so far?
1: Yeah. We're yeah. just talking
2: about two massive fingers, right?
1: Wow. Well, it's kind of like we you just... Uh... I really get now what you meant by it's, it's literally a machine. It's like the components of brilliant machinery that's just outside. And this has been with us for how many How many years? Like how long?
2: Right, thousands of years. And we just couldn't figure it out. We just, we just took this whole concept of communication with the gin. these little ideas of creating this device that they gave us thousands of years ago. And now you just read this little pamphlet about drawing these little dots on paper and then it's good fortune or bad fortune. Luck or bad luck, it became like a horoscope in a newspaper. Baffling. <laughs>
1: it's, it's actually ridiculous. I, I remember Sir Lawrence Gardner pointing out um, how even the, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a, a complete piece of machinery used to break down the, uh, molecular, the structure of gold in order to produce mifcus, which, again, was um, a powder utilized to alter the chemical structure or the chemical release in our bodies. Um, It's Mm -hmm. been demonstrated to have some effects to uh, be almost anti-gravitational in some, and and this is now such an interesting testimony of our almost primitive attempt to interpretate these ideas and how it gets corrupted by um, people trying to use it for divination and for other aspects of that, where it's actually revealing a, a hidden technology um, that is so beyond what we're currently thinking yet reflects what we're discovering in our sciences uh, today, exactly. which is so fascinating.
2: Right. So, you know, this is why it was like, okay, I cannot build this machine, but I, I get what they're trying to do. And and kind of goes back into, we can do this nowadays using uh, complicated tools or machinery. We can even probably do it using VR because in VR you have visual light and you have actual sounds, but with VR, you cannot project outward. So it's going to be kind of a personal experience, you know, a kind of a, a way of making the connection on a psychic level versus w- or tele-
1: I wanted to, I wanted to say that, I mean, like if we look at how far we've come with utilizing things of light and binaural sounds as ways to alter consciousness in order to kind of bypass the neocortex so that we can gain information outside of our programming, almost Using those tools to step outside of our own limitation of perception, could these maybe be, you know, makings of a key by which we can access, get out of our own way to perceive into that realm and actually make contact absolutely. with the jinn?
2: Well, absolutely. Because, you know, again, if you're trying to make, if you're trying to have the jinn appear physically in your space to make that kind of an ancient connection. You can probably pull it out, you know, uh, pull it off it, it, if you're living in a small apartment in the middle of New York or the Bronx, right? Mm. But you can still make contact on some level. You can still reach out and receive a kind of a, like a telephone call versus a physical visit, right? Yes. And yeah. and it, the, the more of all those telephone calls you have, the more of a chance you're going to have an actual visit eventually. Mm. So it's hard to have these telephone calls without getting stuck in mental, um, imagine, you know, it's, I don't want to say delusion, but, but it's, where you're it, just stuck in your accurate, own mind. It's
1: accurate. I, I mean, it also kind of makes me think about um, the preparatory space. Uh, and I, I remember I was doing, I was doing work through Goisha some years ago. And through the continued work, because I actually applied you know some patterns that I learned out of your work, um, right. in order to kind of get a little bit deeper to the force behind what was written in the grimoire. And for the bulk of it, most of it was almost purely psychological, but then three figures, or three aspects of them actually came mm. through, and I was very much caught in the space where I recognized that, what I contacted was so far beyond my ability to control and could pretty much snap their finger and crush my reality without even thinking about it. Um, And it's almost as if they were hesitant to come into my world because they knew it would shatter me. And I needed to almost vibrationally come up to that level. So it's almost like, you know, a lot of the the uses of the ritual uses of the technique, the uses of the preparation of this technology, that we also have to recognize that our own system, I think also like why the vegan diet in some of the older texts was referenced, uh, we have to vibrationally get our bodies to handle it because that altered reality can almost be too overwhelming for an average mind. And uh, I think especially a lot of, the, maybe that's part of also the reason why they want to be unnoticed because, I mean, who wants to deal with the, you know, shattering of a reality of an underdeveloped species, you know, so to speak.
2: Correct. You know, so, and and, and, we're, and we're not a very benevolent species overall anyway. Exactly.
1: Um, exactly. What um, we
2: said is, if, we, if the whole planet to up the reality of the gen and realize what they can and, you know, what they can do, I suspect to be a lot of meetings in the Pentagon. So mm. it's not something they'd want, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, so, but you were asking about the magic squares and before, before we get uh, on, on a side. It's, uh, it's a very interesting aside. So yes, yeah. but, yeah, but I guess. Magi- the magical squares origin um, was actually part of the science of the letters. Not actually, or or what they call the magic of the letters, uh, which is a a kind of a little Kabbalah, and it was really tied in with the power of sound, right? Yeah, um, Mm -hmm. you didn't just write the square, you breathed on it the vibration of every number you put down, okay? So there. Their belief was, and it has nothing to do with the jinn. their belief was that sounds was the key. All right. And they also believed that uh, numbers were also the key. So uh, this is a branch of Arabic magic, which focused on the power of sounds and which is basically what judges are and the power of numbers. And then they connected it with, the, with basically the movements and alignments of the planets. So then they, kind of gave it what they call a stellar function, where they would take a talisman and hang it underneath the stars, particular star constellation, and get it charged at night. Okay. So that's sort of what they were doing with that. And if they're not doing the stars, they were doing usually verses from the Quran and things like this. For the, um, you'll probably almost never notice or see in Arabic manuscript, magical squares to evoke the gen. It doesn't really exist. Mm. There are magical squares that are used in some conjurations and stuff like that, but not to evoke the jinn. If you read Alboni's book, for example, on the Perhatia, he would give you a particular name and he would give you a name of power. He would give you a magic square. He would give you certain attributes, but he won't use the square to call a jinn. So the squares had a function, had a role but their role or function was not to evoke the djinn. They were, they were used by magicians for other purposes. Can sometimes cross over their jinn magic work, but yeah. it wasn't to hold them. The Jin didn't respond to magic squares. All right. So this was more
1: of a personal um, high magic or low magic for when you wanted to just vibrationally attune to bring certain things into your life, but they um, in, in, in and of themselves had no direct relationship to the djinn. Well,
2: Okay, I, I, I think this part of this process that is not common in the West, maybe I should can I explain it. When you draw the magic square, you don't just draw it on a piece of paper and call it a day, okay. you often drew it on a dish, and you charged and infused the square as you're writing it with vibration of different names. And of course, the letters or symbols you're putting on there. And when you're done charging and infusing the square, you would actually literally just wash it with water and drink it. Oh, oh, interesting. So that was really his purpose. Now, sometimes it was also used in metallic objects for a certain kind of amulet, talisman, stuff like that. Mm. But for the primary purpose was for your consumption.
1: Oh, interesting. So this is like the work of Dr. Emoto and the water molecule taken to a completely new level
2: in essence right. definitely that's- so that was their, that was their perspective on it mm-hmm. and you just again, you just draw it you charged it with your voice with your vibration because ultimately they place the power of magic in the vibration of sounds and music and of course that's what magical names are sounds and music which brings us back again to the idea of the binary beats being audio means of communication right
1: this makes, it, it makes so much sense. I mean, like we know that the music that we're playing, we're listening to how we're, how light is affecting us. This right. affects the vibration between the heart and the head, the actual frequency that our bodies emit. So this is a, a subtle communication that is happening despite right. even the, the words, the word, the way we tone the words, all that then adds to
2: that. Um, yeah. So, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of example of how this works objectively. Okay. Um, I hope my friend doesn't get mad that I'm sharing this up. Uh, so, years ago, I was looking at this ancient formula. I think I, I sent you a little bit of a sample uh, yesterday of a square, and I told you the square is made of letters of light. Yes, and, yes. And the, and the Arabic alphabet is divided into 14 letters that are letters of light, and 14 letters are letters of darkness. Okay. So that's not meant to it's not meant to say good versus evil, just light and dark. All right. Right. So the letters of light are then divided in a certain way to form what they call the great elemental name. Okay. And the great elemental name, I've kind of mentioned in my book Magic That Works. Mm-hmm. So but it can also be used to create formulas for different kind of magical purposes. And the square I showed you is one of my current research into creating a kind of a vessel for healing using the letters of light and water. Anyway, I don't want to go too far too much into this one right now. But so I took the formula and I used it to extract the power of earth and then extract the power of fire, the elemental power of earth and the mm-hmm. elemental power of And I wanted to test it. So I called my friend who is, uh, you know, at the time we're in our 20s and he's um, a very fit young man. And he's uh, he does fencing, very active, physically active. He's he's in excellent shape, but he works very late at night. So he kind of came back in. It was like late in the evening at his time. So I called him up. I said, are you up for a little experiment? I said, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just gonna say a few words in Arabic. You don't know what I am saying, you have no idea what I'm what this is about. Just tell me how you feel a little bit afterward. He said, fine. So I used the power of earth. And I kind of made him very heavy and very tired. Yeah. And as I'm yeah. chanting the names, I'm not doing this in English, right? He has no idea what I'm doing. Okay. I don't want him to have a clue. I'm just doing this all as a kind of an experiment. I didn't want him to know. And then come back to me and says, ah, I feel this, I feel that. I like to do these things in a way that remove as much subjectivity of it as much as possible. So well, I no, did the no, one. No,
1: no covert hypnosis here. He had no, yeah, oh, i did I not interpret the language.
2: That's right. No other suggestion, nothing like that. All he knows is I'm saying some words in Arabic. What yes. these words are for, what they're supposed to do. What if, you know, he has no clue. So as I'm chanting these words, I'm saying these words, he was starting to cough. Okay. And then he started complaining that his breathing was very heavy. He started complaining that he couldn't get out of the couch, that he was feeling faint, that he was having a hard time just moving his body. He was, he felt crushed. So sure. like, like under a mountain, crushed under a mountain. And he was, he was in bad shape. I was starting to get worried about him, you know, that he needed to call 911. So I said, okay, can give me a few minutes. So I, I went back and I changed it to the fire. And I, he used the energy of fire to remove the energy of the earth and give him a lot of energy and vitality. So when I was done, I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel fine. I said, great. The happiness is gone. The, the feeling of being crushed is gone. All this is gone. He said, it's all gone. I said, wonderful. I hang on the phone. I called him a few hours later. I said, hey, how are you doing still? I'm hearing banging noises. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm working. I said, at 1, 2 a.m.? What are you doing at 2 a.m.? He says, I have so much energy. I'm, I'm starting to tip the hammer. I'm, I'm doing construction work in my apartment. <laughs> I said, I cannot sleep. So the next day I called him. I said, did you sleep yet? He says, no, I did not sleep. He went 24 hours without sleep. He went into work. He went into his dancing. He went into his car racing. He's not sleeping. Oops. <laughs> I said, I think I overdid it for you. He says, What did you do to me? I said, Well, first was earth, then was fire. Let me fix it. Because <laughs> I think I would over- <laughs> live it on the fire bit. I'm going a bit overboard here. Let me kind of lower the effect a little bit. But the key of this whole process was is that it was the sounds. Right? It was the sounds. I didn't summon a demon, I didn't summon a djinn, I didn't do any of that. I just chanted the words. And, and-, and it was- It was mathematically calculated using the, using the letters of light. Now somebody will say to me, but look, Neneveh, we have all these mantras all over the world. The Hindus are using them. The Sufis are using them. I see them in all kinds of books. We don't get the results. They promise something, but we don't get the results. And my answer to them is you are just chanting the words, or you are just saying the words, it's not enough. You have to really know how to properly chant the words. That's one. Second, mm-hmm. you have yeah. to activate it. If you don't activate it, you've done nothing. Oh,
1: what do you mean by activate? Is this is this the emotional response to it? Um, no, no 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 no. That? no no.
2: no, no. When you cha- when you're producing any kind of energy, like vibrational energy,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: are you're activating a kind um, what the Arabic book called the Rohaniya. And it's very confusing to Westerners, but it shouldn't be really that confusing. It's same concept as prana or chi and all of the stuff that we see in other eastern literature and culture except except that it's alive and sentient and same so yes alive and sentient
1: okay could you elaborate on that
2: a little it's alive and sentient but it's not in the same sense as a soul okay it's not like a ghost it's not like a ghost or a spirit it's like just, a living it's, force it's, but, a but not
1: with intelligence.
2: intelligence yeah it's it's like a it's a very primal sentience
0: okay it's enough
2: to be directed but to, there's no communication you cannot talk to it it doesn't have the kind of complex consciousness all right it's just affectable you know you can just focus it right it responds to focus to your will to focusing so when you activate it you focus it you call on it and you focus it you say for example uh, let's say I'm, I'm chanting Om Namah Shiva Om. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's a nice chant. It has meaning. Mm. But how do you go beyond that? Are you even chanting, like, uh, you know, the middle pillar? Eh, hey, yay, Asher, eh hey, Okay, you did the chant. Then what? Where's your activation? Mm. In mm. the alBRP before me is Raphael, behind me is Gabriel. Where's your activation? Where are you actually indicating what you're trying to do. There's no activation. So if you're chanting a name, you need to activate it. You need to say, I want the rohaniya, the chi, the prana of this vibrational name, the sound that I am producing, this this incantation, this chant, what you know, the the music to do this.
1: Is, and is that thing visualized? Is that an active instruction?
2: Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just an active instruction. And you can add visualization if you want. You know, the I remember in my course at um, when I when I was taking a master's course at, in, in uh, Vancouver, one of the, the instructor came in and she said and she said to me or she said to the class, if I, if I recall correctly, that one of the, uh, you know, contributions of the Greek culture to Western world was removing the magic behind sounds and letters making it secular. Interesting. So basically, we got so used to words having no real power beyond what we give to them that we don't think there's anything to it. We forget that this is actually a vibration. It's a sound that we're producing. And when we think of sounds, we just think the sound is there. We don't think it has a spirit of any kind, a prana of any kind. Hmm. We're just hearing it. We're just listening to it. And it's affecting us on a psychological level but it's actually affecting us more than that so the if we take a look at the literature and the arabic culture the albuni and all those other guys who wrote in the middle ages they were very clear they really believed that letters were sentient and they were a high level of primal intelligence so you could wow. that's why they would chant the name a hundred times they were trying to manifest that in their reality but once they chanted it Once they felt the manifestation, they activated it. So chanting alone is not going to take you very far if you don't activate. So which is what I did with the guy on the phone. I chanted and then I activated. I chanted and then I activated. And that's how the result worked. The manifestation occurred, you know, thousands of kilometers apart. I'm in Canada. He's in Texas. We're on the phone. Right? Right.
0: That is so, that is
1: amazing.
2: So um, it's just an understanding of how this works. But once, I mean, you, like like, like,
1: noticed, like that's that's it, and and it's just what you're what you're sharing. I, and I uh, is you're correcting so much misrepresented Western dogma around these things, because I think a lot of a lot of people like they come into Western magic, and they forget how much of this actually comes from the east and from the jinn and from all those ancient traditions and even how some of the philosophies and ideas of Crowley were were kind of brought up even from that even the entire western idea of the elements we have the influence of Enochian and the watchtowers but a lot of modern day pagan ideas of the the corners actually related to to the jinn tribes and um, all of this and now it's almost like that original core and those original ideas are actually missing. So people are trying to, and and I believe that's why a lot of them is just turning into pop psychology these days, because they're trying to make sense of these things, given their limited frame, but they're missing this. They're missing these core ideas and concepts, ones that you are sharing now. This is from what was an interview It's turned into a really excellent workshop, I think, for somebody that's you know, to kind of course correct somebody in terms of their thinking of magic. So this has been amazing so much. Um, that actually does make me want to add a question to that: the elements and the Rohaniyat and the elements and the Jin tribes. How does how did that kind of come about? Because we have this notion of the Suls in the one and the Undines in the other. The how that's kind of been kind of translate into Western, but you share very interesting ideas in terms of the Rohaniyat specifically around those elements. Do only the elements have Rohaniyat? Do the planets also have them? How does uh, this relate to that that spectrum?
2: Well, you know, Rohaniyat exists in almost all living things and sometimes even non-living things or non-biological things, I should say. Um, you know, that has energy in a sense, has Rohaniyat.
3: Okay. Um, okay.
2: So when you're working with the um, when when you're thinking of a plant, and you take a plant, and the plant to a scientist is basically just chemicals, cells and chemicals, that's all they see. Mm. So when they're when they're extracting the active ingredient of the plant, they can just synthesize it in a lab, and just give it to you in in a capsule or powder. And say there you go, that's your nutrition right there. That's your vitamin C, that's your coQ10, that's your medicine, that's your sympostatin, your whatever drug they're giving you, whether it's naturally produced from herbs or synthesized in a lab, it's still a pill. Mm. But ultimately, the real key for holistic medicine is to realize that the plant itself has a rohania. So when you're consuming the, if when you consume the leaf for medicinal purpose, the more you can activate the rohania, the more potent the healing can become, and and that concept is lost in modern medicine because we're so focused on just the, like I said, the chemical components. We, we get mm. stuck in details. We're missing that we are more than just biology. We're, so
1: we're getting the know, out, but missing the rest yeah, of the dream.
2: right. So, but the same concept goes with the planets. I mean. Um, years ago, I was working with the the Magus Gate, which is a magic that works, and I wanted to activate the Magus Gate to a star system. And I chose chose Ceres. Interesting. And and I opened the gate to Ceres, and my thinking at the time was limited. I figured, okay, I'll open the gate to Ceres, and then maybe, maybe I'll I'll get some sense of what the star is. I'll have some kind of Past working experience, or you know, mental experience, or imagine visualization, visualization experience. I, I really had no idea, but I didn't expect much because I am on this planet, sitting in a you know in a room, and I had the gate on the wall. What could happen really? Like what could really happen? So I was thinking, you know, my mind was kind of limited there. So when I activated the gate and I awakened the Rohania of the star, what happened next? was overwhelming. I literally was afraid I was going to die when I had the gate open. Oh wow. wow. thought Rohania was hitting. And then I shut it down quickly and my body was literally hot. Now I don't mean just like fever. I mean the air around my body was hot. And it was hot up to 3 to 4 feet. <laughs> which made and I felt like I was burning in the inside. I felt I was like totally on fire and I was not happy. Um, I had to be, you know, put on, on a tub with, with ice to cool me down. I had to be iced down for yeah. days, right? But I thought I just had a fever. But, you know, the people around me were very clear that the heat was actually a few feet away from me. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what happened, Right. So that was just the rohaniyah of the star affecting me, right? And it, and it did that. So we underestimate the power of these things because we lack the experience of mm. what it could potentially do. So yes, the the jinn have a rohaniyah naturally. You have a rohaniyah naturally. You have your own rohaniyah. The jinn has its own rohaniyah. The planet has its own rohaniyah. If you can activate the Rohaniyat of the planet in your reality, then you will have a very unique experience of the planet that is not possible by regular evocational tool. The way it's being done these days, anyway.
1: So, if you're if you're tuning in or activating the Rohaniyat, is it is it similar as into the principles of entanglement where? You're emitting that essential vibration, and you open up to anything that corresponds to it in your life. Is it literally like a, a soul or a force that enters you with in, in ideas and concepts and uh, different expansions? Uh, how and and also is that is that something that you can work almost independently
2: of gin magic? So you could work. Uh, well, it's independent of gin magic. No, it's independent of gin magic, but could be helped with gin magic. Like you can okay. use. It magic to help you but not in the way people think like uh-huh. when they invoke, for example ah, they think they're invoking the spirit of the sun or the djinn of the sun that's not exactly how this works so let's leave let's leave this here a little bit aside because this bit of a, you know can be a a whole hour-long conversation but, uh, when we'll you're keep it for our next when, when, yeah when you're working with the rohania of the planet um if let's say i'm working with the rohania of saturn proper Mm -hmm. right if you're doing it properly then you should feel the same an astronaut would feel if he's floating around saturn oh okay your awareness of reality should be no different than his interesting and and pretty intense and it would be it would be equivalent you you would come back thinking you've been to space and back there'd be no difference in your mind you'd be like okay i have been to saturn and back this is not you know you would know what it feels like to be an astronaut and and being out there and it's a shock to your system when you have that experience but it's also amazingly beautiful yeah in
1: in that is it then is it if you are going to work with frani energy is that is it safer to kind of start off working with like the Raniyat of the elements before moving onto the planetary? Or is it simply a case of exposure?
2: All right. All right. So let's do a little experiment here on, on live on this broadcast. Now, okay. you may not, you have to not include this in the final bit, but let's just do it anyway.
3: Okay.
2: They kind of humor me here. Happy. Uh, so we will just pick now. October I'm going to choose my time because it doesn't really matter where you are. It just works the same way. Uh, okay, we have the moon at the 25th degree of Capricorn. Okay, so let's look here. The sun is in 20th of Libra. That's fine. We'll look at Libra table and then look at the moon. So I want you to uh, chant with me. Zoa Zoya kula. Zoa Zoya Sakula
1: Zoa Zoya Sakula Zoa Zoya Sakula Zoa Zoya Sakula Zoa Zoya Sakula Zoa Zoya Sakula
2: Focus a bit more on the energy of the moon when you're doing it. it. Is it to the moon? Focus more on the moon and then kind of give. Try to tap into the actual magical power that's in hand in the universe around you. You're tapping into the magical flow. You're not trying to force it with your will. You're tapping into the magical flow. So, zoa zoyar psakula, zoa zoyar zoa zoyar psakula, zoa zoa zoyar Soazoyar, Psa Coola. Soazoyar, Psa Kula. Orohaniat al Kamar. Orohaniya of the moon.
3: Connect.
2: So, ask her to, to descend down on you. honey to the moon. Connect and descend upon me. Connect me with the energy of your sphere or the energy of the moon.
1: So I can feel like almost uh, I felt a very strong kind of cooling energy. Um, At one point when I closed my eyes, it's almost like these, the outer peripherals of my, of my physical head would feel like it would move energy in. And I started getting a tingling sensation that would emanate from just above the palm, but through the middle finger on both hands and slightly moving up to the right. So I could feel that, that energetic shift or that I wouldn't even call it a shift. I would call it just an attunement. To, to a right. frequency, like a very...
2: A exactly, right. And, and you've done this here for like only a few minutes. You're doing this in front of a your computer. You're mm-hmm. not in a temple yeah. setting. And you're not doing anything like that aggressively. So if you're doing this in a proper environment for half an hour to an hour every single day, then your attunement to the moon will be magnificent. And don't be shocked if you start feeling like you're actually walking on it. This is you amazing. Know, the will be very, very intense experience.
1: And, and uh, one of the other things that you kind of reflect to a lot is that there's a certain the repetition, the amount of repetition. Is that also part of that mathematics, so to speak, that the oh, amount of times that you right. would say it?
2: Yes, that's right. The mathematical repetition were based on the value of the word you were actually chanting. So if you were chanting Allah, you would do it 66 times because Allah has the value of 66. They were connecting the vibration with a mathematical number. They were trying okay. to create a, a, loop, a harmonic loop between the, the frequency and the, and the mathematics of the actual name they were chanting.
1: I see, I see. Okay. It wasn't that's,
2: random. random.
1: That's, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And this is also a case of it's not a, a matter of you need a psychologically attribute that this number
2: means that. That number is going to work regardless. Regardless, Exactly. It will work regardless because it's pure mathematics. It doesn't care about your feelings. It's just numbers. <laughs> that's
1: absolutely brilliant. Um, in what of your work can somebody that's listening to this uh, learn more about those? I mean, you cover some of this in Magic That Works, but can you give a bit more right. of a direction for somebody that's fascinated about what, we want to talk, what we're want we talking about and how they would begin that journey in studying with you and also studying this?
2: Well, um, I mean, I've covered so many things right now in my courses, it's almost uh, difficult for me to pinpoint. I would say that if you're interested, for example, on the Great Elemental Name, I have a Great Elemental Name course. If you're interested in Geomancy, I have a Geomancy course. If you're interested in Planetary uh, Activation, I have different courses on Planetary Activation and and names of power that can be used. Um, So I'm releasing a a course in few more days on on the mantras so um and it, it combines the jinn and the angels and the mantras i've worked on a system of mantra that is um uh, basically a mathematical language using the golden mean okay so it, it's like it's entirely different from uh any other language on earth because it's it's purely mathematically constructed Oh, wow. It's not, it's not a language based on uh, people basically deciding. Uh, but I mean, in some ways, it's not completely detached because it's also using alphabet. So, in, in that sense, we sort of are tied into the alphabet that were developed by humans. It's not, you know, there's some restrictions there. Yeah. But um, yeah. the, the construction is based purely on. Um, on the golden mean. And the reason for the construction of the golden mean was to work with the jinn, because if I was to say, I'm calling on Amaiman or, or, you know, to use the Goatia as an example, you know, that's a Hebrew name, right? But yeah. if I construct yeah. the golden mean, I'm able to attract the jinn based off its own soul vibration. So it, it seems to trigger a different level of response when you use the golden mean. So if you combine the golden mean, you know, we, we can... We can um, is there a particular spirit that you work with on a regular basis that I can I can show you as an example how this works?
1: Um, this could be any spirit, demonic, angelic,
2: otherwise? Uh, yeah, but I mean, don't give me Satan or anything like that.
1: Uh, no. Um, the Goethic spirit, Marbas.
2: Okay, Marbas. Well... First of all, Maribas is a Latin name. Let me look up my actual uh, name for this. <laughs> yes, I have, right. a, well, I have the Lucknuk beats for all the Goetia, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I have the knock beats for all the Goetia, and I have the um, proper naming for all of them as well. Hold on a How do
1: how, do how do we get hold of that? Or when's the course coming out for that?
2: Oh no, it's it's been it's been out and gone for a while. I it was a special a special release a while back. Oh. Um, I mean, I can make it available but again if people want it, right? It just, I only, I put it out for a bit because there are a lot of curious people when it comes to Goetia. and I was like, okay, uh, let's let's approach this differently. You know, I don't work with Goetia and this, you know, on an active level or even any level really. But I was like, there's so many people working already with Goetia that I I felt that by giving them the knock knock leap, using the proper spelling of the actual names, not the ones usually in the Latin grammars, yes. then you have a better sense of what forces they're really working with. And then they can decide for themselves if this is something you want to work with or not. And if not, I give them the uh, more benevolent gin type they can work with.
1: Oh, this is so interesting. I, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd happily sign up for if you're releasing something like that again. And I'm sure a lot of people listening would love to know about it. Hey, I just wanted to pop in quickly. This is your Easter egg placed perfectly in appropriation to where the subject of the Knock Knock Beats are going. I've had a chance to chat with Nineveh and Eve and convince him to bring this secret idea back out to the public for a short period of time. He's only going to be releasing this for a few days, so it really depends on when you're getting access or when you're getting to watch this score, this this podcast that you'll be able to get access to his self-produced Knock Knock Beats as well as the Golden Meme Both links are in the description, but since you got here and you got the um, Easter egg, so to speak, the the key word is Goisha 99. That's Goisha 99. And by applying that password or that code into the checkout when you do, you will be able to get a copy of the Knock Knock Beats um, at minus 30% discount. I will just let you know, because I also got myself a copy, Once you do make the purchase, just allow a 24-hour processing time for this course and you will be sent the link. So when you do get redirected by the PayPal, it didn't show me a download link, but I checked my junk mail and then I got my links from there. So do check your junk mail when you get it and do allow like up to 24 hours depending on where you are for the processing to take place. They are interesting and I will be releasing in the coming months um, my experiences working with those in conjunction with my existing practice. Okay, and hope you enjoy the rest of this interesting discussion.
2: Well, anybody who is interested can just PM me; I'll make it available again. I mean, uh, let me see here, though. Let me. Okay, so you're working. You said with uh, Marabas, right? Yes. Okay. I have the knock knock beat for Marabas right here.
1: So I'm 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 very curious. I don't know if there's any correlation inside of. Your tradition but um melek taos the 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 commonly known peacock angel is there any wow. any root relationship to that in the arabic um because yeah, i know it's Say yeah. again
2: yeah, he does appear in arabic text yeah A-
1: and what about if we use that as an example
2: okay so the golden mean of her melek is Relej here we go. pronunciation correctly. Relej we'll get all
1: You get a lot of, um, what's your views on people utilizing things like this as tattoos on their body? Is there a real oh.
2: effect on that, or is that? Oh, yeah, that can be very helpful if you get the right magical tattoo, but you need to continue to recharge it, like any other kind of uh, magical inscription.
3: Okay.
2: okay. So the actual golden mean. This is to act to kind of call him on a soul level. Ralaj kama okay. dfit akmad lema hahfi. Ralaj kama dfit akmad lema hahfi. Ralaj kama Fat akmad lema hahfi.
1: Ralaj kama dfit Ralaj Yeah. Ralaj Kamat Fat.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: how can people learn about the golden meme is that
2: is that is that in an available course is that something i usually just give it in my courses i don't i don't have a course on it i just kind of just give the codes like you know if i'm giving a lecture on metatron i will give the name metatron and golden Meme. I will give them knock-knock beat. So just give it, you know, just like that. Because it's very, it's not always easy for people to convert yes. linguistically. A lot of people speak Arabic, right? So, or have a, or can work with the Arabic alphabet. And I tried using golden mean in English, and it's very hard to pronounce enough ways of doing it in a way that works. So I just talked to the Arabic. Not say the English didn't work at all. It did, but it was very difficult to pronounce. Very complicated. Actually, Arabic is easier in context um so
1: i think this is such an exciting and kind of interesting approach especially for like everybody that's trying to get deeper into this and they're trying to break away from the kind of western christian influences on the material um you know and even going past the latin interpretations to getting some of these uh these pieces that you're sharing now it's such a such a refreshing opening um such an immediately effective one i know from just pronouncing working through that one mantra earlier with you
2: Yeah, I I did one for the Goetia. I did one for the Georgia Oof, that would be such an interesting piece. Uh, For knock-knock beats. And uh, I don't know if I did the golden mean, I'll So, But I mean, a lot of this technology is really from the gen. I mean, I didn't just wake up one day and think, oh, knock-knock beats or, oh, you know, golden mean. These are all instructions techniques and methodology that the jinn are passing. And it's not, you know, there's no, I, I guess I know a lot of people are kind of having religious upbringing, whether it being Christianity, Islam, Judaism, so, or, or you know, Western secularism or anything of this sort, they have a kind of a built-in worldview, mm. right? And and that's fine, we, we all start with a built-in worldview. The idea here is not to break away from a particular worldview, but they kind of look as magic as actually its own worldview. Okay. And that to get a better understanding of the world and its own worldview. And then sometimes this kind of matches something the Christian ideology or theology would have, or the Islamic theology would present or any other theology. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's different and that's okay. Like it's, it's just a mean of verification. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons many religions were scared of magic because it challenged the spiritual authority that was being passed along by the clergy this is a this is this is a matter of fact and this is all there's to it and when you do magic and you have experiences with spiritual reality and the universe and you come back and you say wait there's more to it than what i've been raised to believe and that challenges their authority right Mm. but ultimately it's about finding out the truth exactly whether you're from any from science or from magic is ultimately about getting a better understanding of the world that we live in and living in harmony with this world right yeah so, I, I i know a lot of people approach me say well what magic can do for me or did you get into magic because you wanted money or power or this I says no i got into magic because i loved it and i it allowed me a better understanding of the universe Mm. That's, why, that's what attracted me to it it's, it's a way of, I guess John D had the same kind of concept, he wanted to expand his knowledge beyond what's already available to him
1: because I think in, in many ways science kind of, it innovates but it only innovates across known lines so it verifies more right. Exactly. whereas right. magic allows us to kind of peer beyond the box and bring out new probabilities that later on we should try to verify with science and sometimes it just exactly. means science has to catch up exactly so i want to i yeah. want to ask kind of like towards uh kind of closing the conversation because this has been so fascinating um and then we've covered so many rich topics and i think anyone that's listening as has probably already started stalking your websites and your materials um i want to ask some just kind of administrative questions around where to start what sites things like that but before i get sure. to that um before you
2: get can we finish with Marabas? Because I just finished finding
1: oh, him. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Okay, great. Yes, please. That would be okay. fantastic. All
2: right. Okay. Well, the reason I I had trouble finding him in my document because I had his name written down as Marbash. Okay. Marbash. Yes. Or arab Another name for him was Marib or Mar Marbash. So I have. a am not beat for his name as Marbash, and I'm not going to for his name as Marib because there's confusion. In which spelling is the correct one? Is it Marbash or is it Marib? Okay, so by listening to Knock Knock Beat, you can decide for yourself if his real name is Marbash or Marib as far as what you're trying to work with. Okay, all right, so let me launch out Marbash first. okay so that's the first one okay did you pick anything from it let's try a matter
1: Okay, so which one do you think is which? Uh, honestly, uh, the, the the second one.
2: That's um, right, the second one.
1: Yeah, it's 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 almost like a purer version of the vibration. I, I can feel the the because I can feel almost like the go into that klepotic dissonance in, yes. in, in, in the first one, but it almost feels like it's a tier away from the more intense first. When I when you played the second one. Um, its effect went far more through my body and I could feel massive activation around the head and around the solar plexus center so I could feel that almost a lot of the power attributes to him were very sensible and it was almost like a bit of unease because of its frequency that's that's powerful that's very interesting can I ask how how do you calculate these if uh, do you have a course on how to calculate this? Do you share this? Uh, you mentioned you share. Oh,
2: I do have an actual ebook on it, but you know, ultimately, it's not that complicated. I just convert the mathematical, uh, the name into binary.
0: Okay. It's straight up
2: just conversion into binary code.
1: So just, but I mean, this is not the original Arabic names.
2: Well, no, this is actually well. The Galicia is originally in Hebrew, so yes. when you have the Hebrew, it's the same as Arabic. The alphabet is almost identical. Yeah, you do a correlation
1: comparison, I think, still in magic that, uh, magic that works. You give a correlation between the Hebrew and the uh, Arabic.
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a, ultimately, basically, the uh, the seven double letters in Hebrew is, is basically separated in Arabic, so the sounds exist in Hebrew, but they exist as kind of like double letters, but in Arabic, they're individual letters, right? So yeah, that's yeah, sort yeah. of the difference, and then, but I like the Arabic separation because mathematically it allows us to go up to a thousand in our mathematics versus in Hebrew you got stuck at 400 and then you get into trouble how do you represent 500 or 600 or 700 in Arabic we already have the letters separated so it makes it easier for for calculation purposes but ultimately it's the same alphabet
1: that's so interesting so interesting this has not just been a good conversation, this has been an exciting one. Like I think you've opened up so many interesting doors, um, things that you've kind of brought into sense and perspective for me and opened up a new set of possibilities. And I think for everybody listening, um, there's just so many rich probabilities here. So I'm gonna, I, I would probably wanna ask you to have you back on the show because I think these, there's so many pieces that got opened up that they will open up for many other conversations. But for somebody that's listening, besides your books, um, where firstly, where is the best place to buy the books? Is it on your website? Is it through Amazon? Where's the best places? And besides the book, your courses, you're constantly releasing new ones. Is there a sequence for people to go through? What do you recommend, especially for somebody that's new to
2: this, new to your work and getting started? Um, Well, I mean, Magic That Works is an excellent book for Mm -hmm. most beginners um many of my books are available on on amazon but the digital content of course is not um the courses and stuff is not the knock knock beat is not they're all available on my website you know it's um so just go there to the website if somebody is curious where they should begin they can always contact me because i can't give a blanket recommendation because different people have different interests so and you know, there are tools that they can also acquire depending on their finances, but mm-hmm. they don't need all the mm-hmm. tools. You can just start with basics. I mean, just a couple of books and knock-knock beats will get you started up front. If you want to work with the gym, right? Yes. Uh, yes. So you can move from there to more advanced equipment, like, you know, the rings or the, or the box or whatever. But ultimately the knock-knock beats is an excellent start for a beginner combined with any with any of the courses that's there um yeah just go to the website
1: okay um but you say yeah. they can they can also get a hold of you maybe to discuss do you do yeah, any absolutely. personal consultations or personal
2: trainings um or do you pretty much uh, guide I, how I to work? Do, right i only do trainings in live like on person one-on-one and yeah. since that's not really possible at this point yes. then it's not gonna it's not gonna really work but i'm usually you know free to um you know I don't have an actual schedule so if somebody were to text me at any time i'm awake i'll just either text and i'll respond okay as long as long as they are being reasonable uh, with their questions i mean if something they're asking me can be found in books just go read the books
1: yes right exactly do your due diligence
2: first do your due diligence but if if anybody needs help with anything i'm I'm always available i i don't charge money for consultation anything like that Oh, wow, that's I'm that's looking good. forward to helping people as much as I can. so it's it's just there. well, I
1: mean, I think I think a lot of your work you you bring a lot of concepts that uh, for anybody listening, uh, a lot of concepts that people are taking for granted when they're picking up a lot of these grimoires and a lot of these other materials and they don't really know the roots. you really dive deep into the roots and where these things come from. and again, bring that original idea of that true magic right, you know right. Kind of back to modern times, in a, in a way that I've seen very few others, you know, even attempt, especially with the level of detail um, that goes oh. in and the practicality of the systems that's presented. Nineveh, this has been an absolute honor Hello. and an absolute pleasure. Yeah.
2: Before you wrap up, you asked me a question before we we kind of began, and um, I didn't want to address the question, and you were kind of polite enough not to bring it up. But since we've covered enough about, you know, we've done some Galicia work um i might as well address it you're going to ask me about Salmanic magic in particular
1: it's been it's been one of those topics yes i mean i've been it's it's a hot topic in the industry um there's many mixed yeah. about it and again you've you've written and you've done translations in this field okay. that, that's part awesome. to excellence so yes i would love i'd love to get your view on that your okay. honest view okay.
2: right so i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna close up by saying that the Solomonic magic has been one of the most effective tricks pulled by the jinn on mankind. Okay. Now, I know, you're gonna be going, what? Yeah, <laughs> what it's a, that's, just... a,
1: that's a big one to throw out there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, I, I figured it would be. Uh, let's take a look at the Quranic narrative of, of uh, King Solomon. So in King Solomon narrative, the jinn helped build his temple. and then in one verse in the quran and in the hebrew you know they also have built this temple by using stones that cut that are like not metal so they they use magical means to construct that temple right so in the quran it states right that when king solomon died or he the Jinn did not know that he had died until the worms ate his stick and he fell okay and when the worms ate his stick and he fell the jinn were became aware that he's dead okay so let's address this a little bit here how could a king die and no one notice okay that's that's first statement second how could the jinn not know he died they can know he's alive hmm. So where was he, assuming the story is correct, where was he that he would, that nobody would notice that he died, all his wife, his kingdom, all of this stuff? Where was he that the only way for anybody to know that he died was to, to see him collapse after the worm ate his stick? How long does a worm need to, how long does it take for a worm to eat a stick? Yes. Right? So the story makes no sense if we think, not logically, if we think of it in a literal sense Mm. of a king in Israel. Now, here's something else. We have archaeological evidence of the second temple. Right? The temple during the time of Jesus. But we have no evidence of the first temple.
3: Mm.
2: None. Only the second. Right? Yes. maybe I'm wrong on it. but as far as I know, there's evidence of the first temple. We only have the legend of King Solomon. Hmm. Right. So even, even in the
1: goisha of Dr. Rudd, it's only spoken right. on the findings of the second temple.
2: The second temple. We know there's a legend of the first temple, but there's, but there's no archaeological dig of proof the first of it. Temple,
3: or the second temple.
1: But there's some so, some, some legends about uh, effects of the location, right. but the locations were in the same place. More or less, so that right. doesn't make a difference.
2: Yeah, Exactly. So now, now we have a few questions to ask you about this whole thing. Then we have the story of King Solomon and King Solomon binding the jinn or the demons into a vessel and throwing them into the ocean and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we have all these narratives of conjuring the jinn or the, these demons to re-manifest the things that King Solomon did. And who are we summoning? We're summoning the same ones that were bound. We're not summoning the ones that were used to build the temple. Okay, we're not summoning the ones that advised him to consulted with him in the Goetia. I mean, this is the premise of the Goetia. We're mm. not, we're not summoning the jinn that advised King Solomon. We're not summoning the jinn that built the temple for King Solomon. We're not doing any of these jinn we're doing or demons, if you want to go with the term demons, we're only doing the ones that were bound and thrown into the ocean and then released later. The ones that he deemed to be dangerous enough to bind were the ones that have been summoned in grimoires, not the one that helped build his temple. Okay. So you can see already here, some trickery is going on.
3: Hmm.
2: And secondly, if we take a look at the legend, like we said about his staff and things, it's obvious where he was at was somewhere removed from humanity. Hmm. Remember Hmm. what I said before about needing to isolate yourself, cloister yourself? Yes. So, so there's that, right? So, and then there's a there's a narrative, right? Who mentions the who mentions the names of the jinn that were bound? A jinn? Like who introduces them to the Book of Deadly Names, for example, with a list of these um, jinn that were considered to be evil or destructive. Mm. Who introduces them to King Solomon? Fik another jinn. An advisor. Right? Okay. So in Arabic manuscripts, we end up having four ifrits or four powerful jinn that are directly considered to be connected to King Solomon. Shoghal now, one of those four is the one that I mentioned that turned the paper hot. Oh. It's one of the Solomonic Ifrit's, or one of the Solomonic advisors of okay. Solomon. One of those four is the one responsible for telling the story of King Solomon. Okay. So one of them is responsible for spreading the myth of King Solomon among humans. Hmm. Now, now comes the question. Why would you want to spread the myth of King Solomon among humans? If you're a Jinn, why would you want to spread the story of a man that can bind Jinn in the first place? Especially because- Wouldn't you want to kind of like head? bury that story? Yeah, hide deep, uh, that story, uh, right? So why would you spread it? Yeah, you're giving your password you away to everybody. Yeah, well, what are you spreading? You're spreading, you're spreading two things at the same time, among the religious Muslims, Christian, Jews. You're spreading the narrative of the temple. The temple is important to Jews, it's important to Christians, and it's important to Muslims as well. You're also spreading. And it's not any temple by any means. It's a temple so sacred, so holy, so unusual that the Jin built it themselves. Not man built it; the Jin built it. They carved the stones. Yeah, a man oversaw it from Phoenicia, but ultimately the stones were carved by the Jin. The, the you know the decorations were built by the Jin. The Jin were involved in the entire construction process mm. of this temple. So now the jinn are connected, they're tied into it, right? So the second part of the myth is, of course, that you know, working with these demons, the magic of working with these demons, which dominates the entire magical system and magical development for thousands of years. Solomonic magic is a de facto fundamental system of magic in the Middle East and in the West. Mm. Everything else a branch mm. off. We are all trying to copy King Solomon. We're all trying to gain something similar. We, all these people are summoning these demons that King Solomon supposedly summoned, right? In Goetia. Mm. But who spread the story in the first place? The jinn. So, I'll I'll kind of shrink this down to kind of like a, a point. The legend of the temple is a Trojan horse that could initiate World War III and wipe out humanity at any time. Wow. Think about it. What event could trigger World War III and nuclear war other than the temple? The end time story, right? Muslims are waiting for the for the Antichrist the jal. They're waiting for the temple to be erected and the Dajjal to the temple. The Jews are waiting for the temple to be built by the Messiah. The Christians are waiting for the temple to be built by the Antichrist, and you know for Jesus' real temple to show up. The story of the temple is a catalyst for global for global war. It's a Trojan horse. Built, it is a nuclear bomb with a timer waiting to be activated. And who put the story in our collective minds? Who spread the story? The jinn. And then we have humans, humans can tap into magic, they can develop complex magical systems, it could be working with all the jinn that built the temple or other kinds of tribes of jinn. Instead, they are focused on the same jinn that were supposedly cast out by King Solomon himself. They're trapped in the paradigm of King Solomon because they believe that through this paradigm he can attain the power he has, a power promised by the jinn or told about by the jinn. We're not looking at the full story. There's so much magical techniques and so many things out there that we're unaware of because we're trapped in the vessel of King Solomon.
3: So... That's
1: a that's a that's a big nugget. and like obviously it's one that'll have some controversy and I, I appreciate why you said like it's not something that can just be you know approached or shared. Saying if somebody now looks at it from that frame and I mean, what what then is the opening gate to working with the other more kind of shall we say helpful gin? what right. is the what is the approach? How do you? How do you level the playing field from your perspective?
2: Well, well, let me throw in another nugget that's going to throw you off. Okay. In the Bahatiya conjuration, which is the, one of the most important conjurations and one of the oldest conjurations in Arabic tradition, and supposed to predate long before King Solomon himself, it mentions the covenant that King Solomon took with the spirits, basically with the jinn, to help and assist him okay and then it says yeah. at the door of the great temple right yeah it says the yeah. great temple so he took the covenant with all these gen and found through the door of the great temple great temple except in some of the manuscripts it fills in two words that throws the whole thing off and those two words are Babel, meaning in Babylon. Hmm. So the great temple that the legend of Solomon is built on is not the great temple in Jerusalem, it's the great temple of Babylon, which belongs to Marduk. So that's what the legend is about. So I think what happened, this is my own opinion, this is not based on any historical fact, is that a legend of a Babylonian origin was taken and spread by the jinn and adopted by the Jews and then by by other religions afterward. In other words, two stories were overlapped. The story of King Solomon, the pious king of Israel, with the magician from Babylon. Hmm. Were overlaid. Hmm.
0: Into
1: it one makes, sense, makes sense because we don't technically know the author of the of the Official salamic translation because most of the entities or demons that we found we found in previous grimoires earlier, so there's definitely a, a reason for the reoccurrence and the redirection out of that line. So this is fascinating,
2: which is why the Quran said in in its own narrative that the Jinn lied about King Solomon and called him a sorcerer. I, you know, initially I thought, well, why would they do that? And then I realized, well, no. I, what happened is two stories were overlaid. We have the pious king who was very important to Jewish religion, whom the jinn saw an opening and then overlaid another story over it that they used for their own purposes.
1: That's interesting. That's a, that's, a, that's a unique reframe, to say the least.
2: Yeah, now we're, now we're kind of stuck because our entire magical traditions in the West and in many ways in the Middle East are all centered around the story. One story, we don't, we don't talk about Merlin magic. We don't talk about Hmm. Tankalosha magic. We don't talk about other magicians and sorcerers of the Middle East. We don't talk about anything except King Solomon.
1: It is our primary narrative in many ways.
2: It's our primary narrative. That's right. A narrative
1: that was set up by the Jinn themselves. So how do we differentiate from the delusion? Like, how do we... How do we well, find ourselves back to truth and the ability to dis- discern correctly?
2: Well, it's like I said, there were five advices of King Solomon. Four <laughs> were the ones in the manuscripts, and the fifth is a bit unknown. I've been actually trying to ascertain the name of the fifth one on my own, and I've come across manuscript and him. In one manuscript, he was mentioned as Fictus, another one he was mentioned as Fictus, Faktitios, Faktitios, other manuscript has him as coden. So there's been a few manuscripts or Sakhar Kahraman. So there's a legend surrounding the fifth Ifrit. And in the fifth Ifrit, or the fifth advisor of King Solomon is the one that has the actual story. So it doesn't have to be based on what I believe or what you believe or what the Christian Jews or Muslims believe. If indeed the jinn were there with King Solomon, and if indeed the jinn were advising him, then they know. Mm. They know the exact real story behind this whole thing. They know what's involved. They know why it was spread. They know what happened. They know who he is. All you have to do is really just call on that one, make contact with him, reach a kind of a covenant or agreement, and get the story. What is the real story of King Solomon?
1: go to the source so to speak
2: What of the source wow i mean those guys have been around hell you can you can you know you can even call jesus's own Kareem, jim mm. kareen i said what's the truth about jesus story how much of it was real and how much of it was made up later who was he really you know likely his career is still alive there's so much what i'm trying to say is that when we're thinking of magic we accept the the framework we, we received from our elders from our ancestors from from culture from religion we accept the framework and then we approach jinn magic in the context of trying to gain benefits money mm. benefits health benefits so that we were looking for immediate me element but what we're not really doing is taking advantage of the fact that this these entities have their own record of human history. Hmm. And we can ask the questions that we cannot figure out on our own because they're still alive during that time. We can do archeological investigations of the past using jinn magic. It's something very few people bother doing. That's a fascinating subject. Right? You know, we're only looking at it from the perspective of gain. And we're going to be looking at from the perspective of investigative science, right? Gaining better understanding of what's going on.
1: I think just out of the last kind of 15 minutes of our discussion, I've probably written down seven, eight new questions that I want to ask you, but we're probably going to have to bring no this call to a close for now. So we're definitely going to have to, I hope you'll be open for another chat. No
2: problem. I'm always available. Just let
1: me know. Thank you so much for this. This has been so intoxicating and so revealing um, with so many unique and different perspectives, many of which I myself haven't even thought of before. So this has been so interesting. Um, You say the best way for somebody to reach you right now is through your primary website, Um, contact via Facebook or via an email address.
2: Uh, Facebook is better. Okay. I don't trust email. Facebook is better. Uh, our emails have a bad habit of ending up in you know ending up in spam. So yes,
3: um, but if somebody
2: if somebody messages me on Facebook and they don't get an immediate response, please don't feel like you know I'm ignoring you. Just send me another message, because okay. sometimes you know my phone is in the hands of kids and stuff, and then by the time I get it back, the message is gone. Right.
1: Naturally, yeah. that makes, that makes, uh, I, I get the experience as well. Like sometimes I just get people will message me and it's just, you get so many messages in the same time or something else. That you just can't keep yeah, track yeah. of them. Off. Off.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, if, so if, if you don't get a response within a day, just message me again. Okay. Just, I just didn't see your message or just got lost with the kids paying with the phone. Okay.
1: Thank you so much for everything that you have shared today. Um, for everybody listening, they will be in the description and in the comments of this, Uh, Will be links to all of Nineveh's material so you can get access to that Um, and you can get a copy of if you haven't yet gotten a copy of magic that works um, it's it's a cornerstone I think every every occult serious occultist should have that in their in their library at the very least. and also I know the NVID has a lot of the variety of courses I've seen of you bringing out. You've also, I don't know, I remember in the earlier days you had some on the language of Arabic for those that are interested in learning. Do you still have any of those offerings available
2: or not at the moment? Um, not in the language itself, but I definitely have, you know, on the science of letters and stuff, some content you can find. I'm, I'm always producing content anyway. So, okay. you know, just keep revisiting the website every couple of weeks to see what else I am putting out.
1: Okay. It is a it is a constantly growing and sharing piece. Well, I think from that, I'm, I'm going to bring us to a close of this conversation. This has officially been one of my longest, most enticing pieces that I've done in a long time. And I thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom. And I look forward to more of it.
2: It's an honor to be on your show. And I hope to be there again soon. I,
1: I look forward to many more conversations. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I've always felt
0: a little different. A little uneasy between regular folk. A bit of a dreamer, a lost cause. A little non ordinary, some would say. I think I've always just been this way. My mother said I was special. My father thought I should be feared. But I knew that witchcraft coursed through my veins the first time I tasted the lips of the goddess inside the rain. Yes. I'm a witch, it's true, and sure, we are the ones who believe in the beauty of nature, who believe in the things science, absent of art, cannot explain, who instead of religion would have romance, and sure, you may think we have lost our way, when in the world of predictable things we have such unfamiliar things that we would like to say, but maybe in a world so cold and alone, a little unfamiliar, is exactly what is needed to show us the way home.